European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 16, Focus Issue, Heart Failures and Cardiomyopathies, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Emerging Causes and Risk Factors of Heart Failure, Amyloidosis, Myocarditis, Immune Checkpoint Inhibitors, Air Pollution, and Visceral Adipose Tissue. This focus issue on heart failure and cardiomyopathies contains the special article European Position Paper on the Management of Patients with Patent Foramen Avail Part 2 Decompression Sickness, Migraine, Arterial Deoxygenation Syndromes and Select High-Risk Clinical Conditions Authored by Christian Pristipino from the San Filippo Neri Hospital in Italy and colleagues the authors note that patent foramen ovale, or PFO, is implicated in the pathogenesis of a number of medical conditions. However, the high prevalence of a PFO in the normal population, 20-30%, implies that PFO can often be an incidental finding rather than a causative one. To help clinicians with decision-making, the European Association of Percutaneous Cardiovascular Interventions, or EAPCI, Scientific Documents and Initiatives Committee invited eight European scientific societies and international experts to develop interdisciplinary position statements on the management of PFO based on systematic assessment of the literature. A first position paper has already been published addressing issues related to cryptogenic thromboembolism. This second paper reports on the approach for patients with PFO and decompression sickness desaturation syndromes, migraine, and other clinical presentations. Despite being based on limited and observational or low-certainty randomized data, a number of position statements have been made to frame PFO management in different clinical settings, along with suggestions for new research avenues. This interdisciplinary position paper, recognizing the low or very low certainty of existing evidence, provides the first approach to several PFO-related clinical scenarios beyond left circulation thromboembolism and strongly stresses the need for fresh, high-quality evidence on these topics. Although considered a rare disease, recent data suggests that cardiac amyloidosis is underappreciated as a cause of common cardiac diseases. In a second special article entitled Diagnosis and Treatment of Cardiac Amyloidosis A Position Statement of the ESC Working Group on Myocardial and Pericardial Diseases Pablo Garcia Pavia from the Hospital Universitario Puerta Diero in Madrid, Spain and colleagues note that cardiac amyloidosis is characterized by the extracellular deposition of misfolded proteins in the heart with the pathognomonic histological properties of green birefringence when viewed under cross-polarized light after staining with Congo red or syndromes. Recent advances in cardiac imaging, diagnosis strategies and therapies have improved the recognition and treatment of cardiac amyloidosis. The aim of this position paper by the European Society of Cardiology or ESC Working Group on Myocardial and Pericardial Diseases is to help cardiologists and other physicians in recognizing, diagnosing, and treating patients with cardiac amyloidosis. The number of chronic heart failure, or HF, patients 
is constantly increasing due to aging populations and better survival of patients experiencing an acute coronary syndrome. The mainstay of HF treatment is stabilization of cardiac function, but identification and targeting of disease-modifying comorbidities is a rapidly emerging field in HF research. Numerous cross-sectional studies reported that greater than 40% of HF patients showed cognitive deficits, which are thought to relate to adverse outcomes. In a clinical research article entitled, Temporal Changes in Total and Hippocampal Brain Volume and Cognitive Function in Patients with Chronic Heart Failure, the Cognition Matters HF Cohort Study. Anna Frey from the University and University Hospital Würzburg in Germany and colleagues quantified the concurring dynamics affecting total and hippocampal brain volume and cognitive function in 148 patients with mild stable HF, mean age 64.5 years, 16.2% female, 77% in NYHA functional class 1 to 2. The assessment included cardiological, neurological, psychological workup and brain magnetic resonance imaging. Total and regional brain volumes were quantified using an operator-independent, fully automated approach and reported normalised to the mean estimated intracranial volume. At baseline, the mean hippocampal volume was about 13% lower than expected. However, the three-year progressive hippocampal volume loss was small, although significant, minus 62 millimetres cubed, P less than 0.0001. This corresponded to a mean relative change of minus 1.8%, which was similar in magnitude as observed with physiological ageing. Cognitive function during the three-year observation period remained stable, with intensity of attention as the only domain significantly declining, P equals 0.004. After three years, performance in all domains of cognition remained significantly associated with hippocampal volume. The authors conclude that in patients with predominantly mild heart failure, the markedly reduced hippocampal volume observed at baseline is associated with impaired cognitive function, but no accelerated deterioration in cognition and brain atrophy becomes evidence over a mid-term period of three years. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Ulrich Laufs from the Universitätsklinikum Leipzig in Germany and Arno Fielringer from the Max Planck Institute for Human Cognitive and Brain Science in the same city. The authors note that assuming the correlation between biomarker stroke proxies of cardiac function and markers of cognition and brain anatomy stroke function hold in all directions of change, not only could stabilization of cardiac function prevent cerebral dysfunction, but improvement of cardiac function might also, to some extent, lead to improvement of brain function. They conclude that studies such as the Cognition Matters HF study published in this issue are therefore greatly needed not only to unravel the bidirectional pathology of the heart and cognition, but also to provide the necessary visualisation needed to monitor and potentially influence this process. Although the attention of the world and the global health community, specifically, is deservedly focused on the COVID-19 pandemic, other determinants of health continue to have large impact and may also interact with COVID-19, 
Air pollution is one crucial example. Little is known about the relation between long-term joint exposure to various ambient air pollutants and the incidence of HF. In a clinical research article, joint exposure to various ambient air pollutants and incident heart failure, a prospective analysis in UK Biobank. Men Ying Wang from the Tulane University in New Orleans, USA and colleagues assessed the joint association of various air pollutants with HF risk and examined the modification effect of the genetic susceptibility. The study included 432,530 participants free of HF, atrial fibrillation or coronary heart disease in the UK Biobank study. All participants were enrolled from 2006 to 2010 and followed up to 2018. The information on particulate matter, or PM, with diameters less than or equal to 2.5 micrometers, PM 2.5, less than or equal to 10 micrometers, PM 10, and between 2.5 micrometers and 10 micrometers, PM 2.5 to 10, as well as nitrogen oxides, nitrogen dioxide and nitrogen oxide was collected. They proposed a new air pollution score to assess the joint exposure to the five air pollutants through summing each pollutant concentration weighted by the regression coefficients with HF from single pollutant models. The authors also calculated the weighted genetic risk score of HF. During a median of 10.1 years of follow-up, they documented 4,201 incident HF. The hazard ratios, or HR of HF, were 1.16, 1.19, 1.21 and 1.31 respectively in higher quintile groups compared with the lowest quintile of the air pollution score, P-trend, less than 0.001. In addition, they observed that the elevated risk of HF associated with higher air pollution score was strengthened by the genetic susceptibility to HF. Wang et al. note that their results indicate that the long-term joint exposure to various air pollutants is associated with an elevated risk of incident HF in an additive manner. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Sanjay Rajakopalan from the Harrington Heart and Vascular Institute in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. The authors conclude that ultimately, questions such as whether air pollution modulates HF risk could very well be a moot point, given the accelerated pace at which transition to sustainable non-fossil fuel sources is occurring in the COVID-19 era. However, in the interim period of transition, there is a need to understand the risk associations between air pollution and HF and measures to mitigate this historic risk factor. Central obesity is a major risk factor for HF with preserved ejection fraction, or HEFPEF, particularly in women, but the mechanisms remain unclear. In a clinical research article entitled Pathophysiologic Importance of Visceral Adipose Tissue in Women with Heart Failure and Preserved Ejection Fraction, Idemi Sorimachi from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA and colleagues hypothesized that sex-specific differences in visceral adipose tissue, or VAT, content would differentially relate to the hemodynamic severity of HEFPEF in women and men. Abdominal computed tomography, or CT, 
and invasive hemodynamic exercise testing were performed in 105 subjects with HEFPEF, 63 women, and 105 age, sex, and body mass index match controls. VAT area was quantified by CT. As compared to control women, VAT area was 34% higher in women with HEFPEF, P equaling 0.006, while VAT area was not significantly different in men with or without HEFPEF. In addition, women with increased VAT area displayed 33% higher pulmonary capillary wedge pressure, or PCWP, during exercise compared to women with normal VAT area, P equaling 0.001, whereas exercise PCWP was similar in men with or without excess. In women, each 100 cm squared increase in VAT area was associated with a 4 mm of mercury higher PCWP, P being less than 0.0001, while there was no such relationship in men, interaction P equaling 0.009. The authors conclude that these data suggest that accumulation of excess visceral adipose tissue plays a distinct and important role in the pathophysiology of HEFPEF, preferentially in women. Further research is needed to better understand the mechanisms and treatment implications for visceral fat in HEFPEF in women. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Rudolf de Boer from the University Medical Center in Groningen in the Netherlands. Boer et al. note that sex-specific findings of this and other studies reinforce the importance of including women as a specific subgroup in clinical studies and trials. This work also underscores that besides classical measures of obesity, BMI or waist circumference, one should consider more sophisticated measures of obesity, such as assessment of VAT area, as this may help identify specific HEFPEF phenotypes. Future studies are essential to better understand the sex-specific content and role of VAT, as this may allow even better phenotyping of patients and development of designer drugs targeting specific fat depots in both men and women with HEFPEF. Myocarditis is an inflammation disease of the heart, frequently resulting from viral infections that cause direct cardiac damage and or post-viral immune-mediated responses. Beyond infections, myocarditis can be caused by a large variety of autoimmune disorders, drugs and toxins. It is an important heart-specific inflammatory entity, causing heart failure, chest pain, unexplained arrhythmias and sudden death. Prognosis in myocarditis patients depends on the underlying etiology. Rarely, myocarditis is associated with necrotizing coronary vasculitis, or NCV, of intramural vessels. In a clinical research article entitled Myocarditis-Associated Necrotizing Coronary Vasculitis Incidence, Cause and Outcome Andrea Frustacci from the Sapienza University in Rome, Italy and colleagues found that among 1,916 patients with biopsy-proven myocarditis, 30 had NCV. An NCV myocarditis cohort was followed for six months with 2D echo and or cardiac magnetic resonance and compared with 60 patients with non-NCV myocarditis. Identification of an immunologic pathway characterized by virus negativity 
TLR4, an anti-heart autoantibody positivity was followed by immunosuppression. Increase in left ventricular ejection fraction greater than or equal to 10% was classified as response to therapy. Cause of NCV myocarditis included infectious agents 10% and immune-mediated causes chest trauma 3%, drug hypersensitivity 7%, hypersinophilic syndrome 3%, primary autoimmune diseases 33%, idiopathic 44%. In hospital mortality among NCV myocarditis patients was 24% compared with 1.5% among non-NCV myocarditis patients. At multivariable analysis, the presence of NCV was the only independent predictor of mortality. Immunosuppression was associated with an improvement of cardiac function in 88% of myocarditis NCV and in 86% of non-NCV myocarditis patients. The authors conclude that NCV is histologically detectable in 1.5% of myocarditis. NCV myocarditis includes viral and immune-mediated causes and is characterized by high in-hospital mortality, which might be improved by immunosuppression when caused by immune-mediated mechanisms. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Elida Caforio from the University of Padua in Italy. Caforio and colleagues note that Frustacci et al. should be appreciated for their long-lasting pioneering work in the myocarditis field, and that using endomyocardial biopsy and new refined tissue and serum biomarkers of immune-mediated pathogenesis, we will rapidly implement new and effective tailored treatments for myocarditis. In the last decade, immune checkpoint inhibitors, or ICI, have revolutionized the therapeutic landscape of many cancers, including malignant melanoma and lung cancer. ICIs have shown to significantly improve prognosis, but may induce immune-related side effects. Among the known immune-related side effects are pneumonitis, dermatitis, colitis, hepatitis, nephritis, and endocrine toxicities. Case studies and pharmacovigilance data suggest that immune-related cardiac side effects are mainly affecting cardiac conduction and myocyte function which may result in arrhythmias, peri- or myocarditis, heart failure, and sudden cardiac arrest. However, the risk of cardiac side effects outside these selected populations is widely uninvestigated. In a clinical research article entitled The Risk of Cardiac Events in Patients Receiving Immune Checkpoint Inhibitors, a nationwide Danish study, Maria de Souza from the University Hospital Herlev Gentofte in Hellerup, Denmark, and colleagues aimed to estimate the risk of cardiac events in ICI-treated patients with lung cancer or malignant melanoma. In this nationwide study in Denmark, the authors enroll consecutive patients with lung cancer or malignant melanoma in the period 2011 to 2017. The main composite outcome was cardiac events arrhythmia, peri- or myocarditis, heart failure, or cardiovascular death. They included more than 25,500 patients with lung cancer. Of these, 743 were treated with programmed cell death 1 inhibitor, or PD-1i, 
and their one-year absolute risk of cardiac events was 9.7%. Of the more than 13,500 patients with malignant melanoma, 145 received PD-1i and 212 received cytoxic T-lymphocyte-associated protein-4 inhibitor, or CTLA-4i, treatment. Their one-year risk was 6.6% and 7.5% respectively. Within six months from first ICI administration, the HRs were 2.14 in patients with lung cancer and 4.30 and 4.93 in patients with malignant melanoma on PD-1i or CTLA-4i respectively. After six months, HRs were 2.26 for patients with lung cancer and 3.48 for patients with malignant melanomas receiving CTLA-4i. The authors conclude that among patients with lung cancer and malignant melanoma, ICI-treated patients exhibited increased rates of cardiac events. The absolute risks are higher in this study compared with previous pharmacovigilance studies. The article is accompanied by an editorial by Thomas Nealon from the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, USA and colleagues. The authors conclude that perhaps it's time for a broader description of ICI-induced cardiovascular complications to include the term ICI-related cardiovascular disease, and this is supported by the important insights presented by D'Souza and colleagues. Immediate steps include increasing our awareness for a broader range of potential cardiac toxicities related to ICI treatment. Longer-term steps include broadening collaborations with our oncology and pharmaceutical partners and expanded clinical research efforts in parallel and based on innovative basic experimental insights. These and other steps are needed to move this forward so we can improve cardiovascular outcomes among our cancer patients treated with an ICI. The issue is complemented by two discussion forum articles. In a contribution entitled Cardiac events associated with ICI therapy. The devil is in the detail. Markus Anker from the Charité in Berlin, Germany, comment on the contribution also published in this issue entitled The Risk of Cardiac Events in Patients Receiving Immune Checkpoint Inhibitors, a nationwide Danish study. D'Souza et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.